listening to the Falcon Podcast. I'm Lady Northampton, and with my husband, Lord Northampton, we have reimagined an old coaching inn here at Castle Ashby and have created a country retreat for those in need of rest and renewal. In this first series, we talk to six key contributors who have been an integral part of bringing the Falcon together. In this episode, Lord Northampton gives us a brief history of his family, his estates and the story behind the Falcon. Well, hello to anyone who has tuned in to this recording, which I've made for guests at the Falcon Hotel, should they want to know a little bit about the history of the Compton family who built Castle Ashby. My name is Spencer Compton and my title is 7th Marquis of Northampton. I am married to Tracy Goodman, who was brought up in Plymouth, as anyone who talks with her will discover from her charming West Country accent. She is a busy practicing psychotherapist and is also qualified as a counselor, a yoga teacher, and a Kundalini yoga teacher. We met in Soho House in Los Angeles in 2011 and married in 2013. I was born and brought up here at Castle Ashby as the eldest son of Bingham, six Marquis of Northampton. He was 61 years old when I was born, and I was given our family's agricultural estates on my 21st birthday in 1967. I've always considered myself a custodian of these country estates and have done my best to improve them over more than 50 years. I hope you will all enjoy the peace and charm of Castle Ashby with its truly great Elizabethan house, its formal gardens, the village, and the 10,500-acre estate. There are very few families with titles who have survived in England since the early 13th century in direct male descent. That is to say that each generation has produced a male child. The earliest document we have of the Compton family is dated 1242. It mentions Thomas de Compton, which was spelt C-U-M-T-O-N, who succeeded his father as Lord of the Manor of Compton Wynyards, which he held from the Earl of Warwick. Compton Williards is a much smaller Tudor house where my wife and I live on the Warwickshire-Oxfordshire border, an hour's drive west of Castle Ashby. It was here that the Compton family began some 800 years ago, and we have documents for every generation since then in our family archives. The family's connection with Castle Ashby began nine generations later than Thomas de Compton, with the birth in 1482 of William Compton. At the age of 11, William's father died. As was the custom in those days, he was made a ward of the crown. It was good fortune for the Comptons that he was appointed a page to Prince Henry, Duke of York, afterwards King Henry VIII. Henry was nine years younger than William, and having become his page when Henry was only two, a friendship developed between the two boys which was to last all of William's life. The king showered him with honours, which included allowing the Comptons to augment their coat of arms with the Royal Iron of England, surrounded by three silver helmets for bravery. He was knighted by the king on the steps of the Cathedral at Tournay, following the Battle of the Spurs in 1513, and you can see this coat of arms in various places around the estate. In May 1512, William had married the daughter and heiress of Sir John Brereton, a wealthy landowner in Yorkshire, and in December of that year he bought the Castle Ashby estate together with its ruined castle, which had belonged to the de Grey family. 
Soon after the Norman conquest in 1066, someone called Hugh had held this estate from Countess Judith, niece of William the Conqueror. And it was Judith who enclosed the deer park, which still exists to this day, at the end of the nearly four-mile avenue leading from the front of the big house. In 1574, 62 years after buying the estate, Sir William Compton's grandson, Henry, first Lord Compton, pulled down the Norman castle and started the present building. It was designed in the shape of the letter E in honour of Queen Elizabeth I, and she is thought to have stayed in the house before her death in 1603. And her successor, King James I, and his queen, Anne of Denmark, stayed here two years later. Henry's son, another William Compton, was later created the first Earl of Northampton. He married the heiress of Sir John Spencer, one of the richest men in England at the time, having made his money from sheep. He was no relation to Diana Spencer's family, whose estate at Althorpe is not far from Castle Ashby. This marriage brought great wealth into the family, and William was created an earl by King James I in 1618. During the English Civil War in the 1640s, the Comptons, who were staunch royalists, were in charge of the king's forces at Oxford. The second earl and his six sons lived chiefly at Compton Winyards, which was surrounded by a moat with a drawbridge. This made it possible to defend themselves against Cromwell's army. But it was to no avail, as the house was captured by the Roundheads and occupied by one of their military commanders, Colonel Purefoy. He must have loved the building, as it only suffered superficial damage to the panelling in the Great Hall, while the church in the grounds was completely destroyed and alabaster effigies of previous Comptons were thrown unceremoniously into the moat. When the war was over and huge fines had been paid by mortgaging both estates, the Comptons moved back to live primarily at Castle Ashby. Compton Winyards was abandoned, and in 1774 all the windows were bricked up to avoid paying the crippling window tax. It remained like this until 1837, when the then Marquis visited the old house from Castle Ashby and found it a ruin with its roofs collapsed and its windows blocked. When my father died in 1978, I decided that he would be the last generation to live in both houses as the cost of maintaining them was far too expensive. I therefore moved my young family from Castle Ashby House to return after over 200 years to the smaller one, Compton Winyards. It took me four years to restore it to a livable state. That same year, I offered Castle Ashby House to the National Trust, but could not afford the capital endowment that they insisted should be paid before they would take it on. I therefore decided to have a go myself and turned it into a conference centre with only seven lettable bedrooms. And some years later, I converted rooms previously used by Elizabethan servants into guest rooms with adjacent rooms being converted into ensuite bathrooms. This made a total of 26 suites. I ran it as a private hotel for some years, with the majority of our clients coming in groups from North America. But when the 1990 Gulf War broke out, the business suffered badly, and I subsequently handed it over to my son, who took the brave decision to close the house, realising that it was financially unviable. We are hoping that if the Falcon Hotel proves successful, we will be able to open up the castle again 
in conjunction with the hotel. If not, we do not see a future for the house and will prefer to mothboard it for the foreseeable future rather than waste any more money trying to make a business out of it. People who do not own these big houses cannot imagine the difficulty private families face in trying to keep them going in a headwind of extensive and expensive repairs. As far as the Comptons are concerned, I am the 27th generation of a family who have distinguished themselves in a variety of ways. We have provided England with distinguished soldiers, admirals, two prime ministers, two senior bishops, scientists, a president of the Royal Society, trustees of both the British Museum and the National Gallery, artists, poets, archaeologists and collectors. In 2017, my wife Tracy and I decided that the old coaching inn in the village, which had been closed for many years, should be refurbished as a comfortable inn. After the project had started, and following a spell with cancer for me, we changed direction and decided that we should use our considerable experience of health and well-being to transform the Falcon into a boutique hotel dedicated to our personal experiences of things we hold most important in our lives. Together with a first-class restaurant, we have tried to incorporate those things we both believe are essential for a happy and healthy life. We are delighted you have come to stay with us and hope you will get as much pleasure out of the activities we have personally chosen for you as we do. Richard Astle and I'm the nature advisor to the Falcon Hotel. The natural world is, is very much at the heart of you know, the Falcon and what it stands for and its values and I think that's why Lord and Lady Northampton have asked me to advise on nature and how we can make sure it's central to everything that happens here and perhaps in particular how guests at the hotel can understand the natural world around them and get to see as much of it as possible. So here are a few of my thoughts on what you might want to look out for uh, and what you might enjoy during your stay. It's fascinating to hear about um, Lord Northampton's heritage and, and the, the local history. It's also fascinating to think, you know, across those centuries of the family's association with this area, there would be many sights and sounds of nature that they'd be totally familiar with. And if you think about the quintessential village, Castle Ashby is that quintessential English village, one of the features of that village is the, the sound of the swifts and the house martins and the swallows as they sort of fly across the rooftops in the summer. And any visitor to the hotel in, in the spring and summer will be able to see all three of those birds and hear those birds. Uh, and to reflect on the fact that so would uh, Lord Northampton's uh, ancestors going back generation after generation. They're kind of part of the heritage. you hear in this podcast is by Jai Utal and Ben Lineback. The podcast is produced by Gaisley Social. And for more information on the Falcon and its contributors, please head to the show notes.